back again with another season and another episode of Metaphor, the podcast from Lifelex. And we have with us here today, Patrick Kelly and Gin and Tonic. So, uh, of course, uh, these guests are, uh, are, are lovely and uh, these guests uh, add to the entire Web3 discussion that we're going to have here today. But what we're really going to talk about today is... Um, where is this going? Where are the utilities for Web3 going? This entire season is about showcasing to you how Web3 has been used for real-life business problem solving. Right, Patrick? Tell us more about you. Uh, yeah, so I'm a web developer. I've been interested in web development since uh, maybe since even uh, around when I first heard about Bitcoin and Dogecoin. I got my first Dogecoin from a friend in high school in 2013 or so, um, and that's around when I started taking my first computer classes, computer science classes, um, and yeah, I mean, I've been <clears throat> just trying to figure out, like, what I can do in the Web3 place uh, that, you know, I can contribute in what way I can contribute to the Web3 space. Okay, perfect. And what you have done so far in Web3 is this concept of tilt. Tell us more about that. So tilt is what I call a productive asset currency. It kind of, in a way, commoditizes an economic action. So in tilt, that would be uh, the farmland used to grow a uh, commodity. So the that would be the economic action and the currency itself represents that medium in which it grew the currency, uh, grew the uh, commodity, and also represents the yield itself, which would be the commodity itself as well. So, so in layman terms, what you ended up doing is creating, um, digitizing productive assets, right? Essentially, yes, yes, yes. And making it fungible, uh, oh. yeah. So, so uh, give us a use case of how tilt could be used in real world. Um, obviously, uh, so uh, maybe a smaller example um, beyond uh, obviously it's just as a useful uh, saving and spending mechanism. Um, another maybe a smaller example of how a productive asset currency could be uh, would be if you could think about it in terms of a vending machine. Say, uh, you know, it's a standard drink vending machine. There are six racks in, a st uh, uh, in that vending machine. They each hold about 20 cans or so. And you could probably break that up into individual slots as well. So there's 120 slots in that vending machine. You could sell off each one of those slots as, you know, a part of a, a currency that would represent like those individual slots, the vending machine itself would tend to, they tend to empty about out about three times a year. You could say that that currency would probably per slot yield about a three or so dollars a year in just interest or, or yield. So, you know, you, the market would have to determine, you know, what would be the value of having that you know, slot in a vending machine, but um, it, it would yield that real economic action of the, 
you know, providing the value of a vending, you know, providing the value of a, that a vending machine does. Do. Um, I, I, for us, or uh, I guess this, the vending machine idea is more of a theoretical concept at this point, but um, we were planning on um, designing it so that each transaction is on-chain, um, regardless if it's using cards or not, um, just using, you know, very simple uh, account extraction methods like from ERC for uh, 4337, uh, which takes, uh, which and, and the easiest way to implement that probably at the moment would be um, GK Sync, which does have a lot of native account extraction, like enabled, enabling abilities. So it would allow um, a user to submit a transaction without having any gas on their account or any uh, currency, uh, but uh, the, you know, saying they paid with a credit card, that uh, could be through the paymaster just paid um, without actually having to transfer any currency or anything to the user's wallet. So, so for those who are uninitiated productive assets in Web3 are literally digital assets that have income cash flows. Um, this could be stocks, this could be real estate, bonds, and, and commodities in digitization, when commodities get digitized, are really non-productive assets, right? Correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Patrick. Uh, yeah, yeah, commodities in themselves are just um, essentially... I, I was not going to say, I, I feel like the word bearer asset, bearer of their own utility. I mean, coal in itself isn't productive until you put it into a generator, but it does bear those molecules that it would, you know, could be used for that. So yeah, most commodities aren't inherently in any way productive in and of, in and of themselves. They can be used for production, but they don't do anything as they're inanimate objects generally. Perfect. So having understood what TILF does, uh, where do you think this is going? You know, with whatever has happened in our space, Web3 slash blockchain space in the in the recent past, uh, there are a lot of naysayers coming up all over the place and it's like, yeah, this is way out. This may may not may not make sense. That's kind of you know, doesn't can can doesn't have future. But as people who are working in Web three for a very long time, we see the slow conversion. We see the digital transformation. We see a lot of big companies moving on towards this these models. How do you see this? Um. So I see it in the, uh, in what I feel like is a more pragmatic way than a lot of the maximalists or whatever. Um. I do th I do see why there is a solution for many things. Um. One thing I don't particularly see Web3 as a solution for um, would be our, our debt crisis. Um, sure, the government could stop, you know, actually printing literal monies, um, but there's nothing that's stopping companies from writing liabilities and contracts and inflating the Bitcoin supply and paper like that, or, um, you know, the companies writing bonds and against you know bitcoin mining that would you know employ the bitcoin supply artificially like that it's a if we're talking about you know just the kind of you know fixed monetary supply problems that like nothing like that is going to be fixed i don't think um i think that 
a real true way to find some sort of like economic stability and solution when it comes to a currency would be to back it by what I would say could say is real value or uh, maybe the gross domestic product, um, which is what you know backing productive asset currencies would be a part of. You know, it'd be a large basket of them, um, but it would be you know the gross domestic product has been one of the most stable growing things in you know in history of uh, economics. So, so I think the biggest challenge over here would be how do you really value these assets? How do you how do you value uh, uh, productive assets? Um, true, there's always going to be something that you have to quote them against. Um, and uh, the issue of the fact that you have a currency that's so closely, say, tied based to the uh, corn industry or something like that. Uh, yes, you know, r relatively so, if the corn industry does, you know, well, that currency will do well. But, you know, you save another currency based on T-shirt industry and T-shirt industry goes up 20 percent in one year. You know, something isn't, you know, there are inequalities there. So, um it, it, that does, you know, that's why a basket of many different currencies and many different assets, many different industries for would provide the most stability. And and then, of course, uh, the, there is this ele entire element of speculation as well, because this is the tokenomics. Mm -hmm. right? This is real, real depth of to tokenomics. I mean, uh, in 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 clear terms and logically, um, for models to work in in productive assets, uh, I guess the token value should linearly grow with respect to cash flow generated by that yeah. asset, right? Yeah. But um, the the goal of token design um, is generally to implement mechanisms that not only create digital assets, but they have to align with incentives of the stakeholders. So it's a yeah. case by case basis. Cannot be a formula that applies. To everybody, how does how, how do you see uh, taking the speculation out of it? Because speculation makes this risky, and then speculation also kind of um, uh, kind of sends um, sends the regulator uh, regulators all over the place. Well, um, if you want to addressing speculation is something that people have been trying to do in a lot for a long time, and I think this was where really in in part I come back to. Uh, Henry George's land value tax and his uh, approach to getting rid of speculation was forms of heavy taxation on unproductive land, um, and, which is a completely overhaul of how our government and tax systems work. Um, but the inverse of that would be having land and floating with that speculative value. So our idea isn't to have a stable coin, excuse me, to have a stable coin in terms of any fiat quote currency, but as to have a stable coin that can helpfully purchase, maintain as much of its buying power as possible. And like I said, you know, there are other industries that have different, you know, ups and downs. So maybe, you know, your um, corn coffee backed currency might have a slight it might lose some buying power to the t-shirt currency but you know as they become bigger and um 
diversify and we have more of these meta productive asset currencies, they'll continue to become more and more stable. And until hopefully the buying power just is completely stabilized, which is almost sounds like a, an absolute myth today. So, so there are different models. I mean, as you said, there are different mm. models that could be used there. There could be, you know, a profit sharing model ultimately to really drive mm. valuation. There could be a work token model. Which one do you think is the best model here? And if there is a best model or all of these models could literally, you know, work to us, even discount tokens are used right now to, um, to, to set valuation. Right. So what which model do you think works the best? Because there's so many of these. I feel like we're really it's too it's too early, really, to say at this point. I feel like we've never seen a good implementation of a government's token. Uh, maybe the best implementation might have been ENS. I really don't even know how much they've done with that at all, at all, really. Um, but that, like, yeah, I, I really can't think of a productive, a profitable DAO that has a good governance token, Ox. maybe. What Ox. was that? Ox? I'm not familiar. But in Ox, the maximum price of a network participant, uh, which is a relayer in that case, um, pays for 51% of the governance tokens. And bound is it's bound by the estimated cost of the network fork. So cost is equal to difference between net present value of the pre-fork and post-fork business. So um, so what 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 it determines is a fair value of the network, but it uses it uses discounted cash flow as a premise. So um, it's 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 complicated. It's complicated, but but you know, there's nothing simple around it, right? Exactly, exactly. So, like, I mean, that's a that's an example that I'll have to look into. Um, but it, it, it like uh, what I'm really trying to get is there's never there's not this uh, you know Coca Cola like Dow that we could look to and that's run itself so well over the past ten years or something like that. You know, there's no this whole huge multi-billion, multi-like company that's been able to grow and, you know, shown as itself as an example of what a DAO could really be on, you know, as a competitive company on the world stage. And and then also this entire SEC regulatory over overview and you know, we, you don't want you don't want them to resemble securities at any point in time. So how do you escape that? Uh, you know, I, I think the regulation on securities is very clear. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I don't know if Ethereum is a security. <laughs> if you've heard that, uh, he literally said uh, those two statements right after each other, Gary Gensler did uh, on live TV television last week. <laughs> Yeah. That's crazy. But yeah. having said that, what do you think is the future? Where are we going with this? Are we, are we, you know, just like, you know, they came down on stable coins this week, uh, central bank digital currencies and stable coins. You think, you think there's going to be more regulation given what's going on and how are we going to survive the regulation? Um, I think that, you know, the SEC continues at the pace that they're going at they're probably going to lose a lot more legal cases. Like they're probably going to lose against Tether. They've already lost 
uh, a couple cases already. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, sorry, not Tether. I meant to say XRP. I, I'm not going to predict anything about Tether. It's not something, <laughs> not a bet that I'm going to make. Uh, I already tried that one. Um, and I mean, I, I feel like they're going to fight and lose a lot unless the United States Congress decides to pass some draconian bill that doesn't make any sense. I mean, uh, Elizabeth Warren has been trying to push one as I, as of recently. It's not been uh, very good to most uh, cryptocurrencies. Um, not really too wet up on the bill, though, to be honest, to speak about that. But um, in general, I think that we kind of probably need to rethink maybe what exactly is a security in a way. Um, I think automation is going to change a lot of you know what we consider to be labor, what we consider like in general, um, even what we consider work. <laughs> but yeah, no, very much so. Like, I mean, there's a lot of people that just do gig work and they don't have a real boss or anything like that. Essentially, they work for themselves or they work for random people on a marketplace. Essentially, they essentially like they have an app that's not really their employer. The real employer is the person that's you know paying them to do the task. Absolutely. So like, what do you, what do you call who who's the employer of all the people who are making money making you know videos on TikTok? They're writers, for example. Oh, oh, oh yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I guess in a way, it's really the viewers, kind of. I, I mean, sure. It, in today, it's probably technically the advertisers, but I mean, I would I would like to see a better. Yeah, but the advertisers, where... however much they pay, is based on how much influence you have, right? If the viewers exactly. Uh, and I would I would like to see an internet that uh, doesn't derive all of its monetary income from just from uh, advertising sales. But you know I, I think we'll get there eventually with some creative engineering. But I don't know uh, exactly how we'll do that. Um, yeah. So so uh, I I think uh, the U.S. regulators, uh, the lawmakers have a lot to rethink. The problem with them is every time a a tech uh, person goes and sits in front of them, they ask really weird questions. I mean, questions that nobody should be asking. Questions like, uh, "Do I have to let does does TikTok track track location?" Duh. Uh, every app does. <laughs> every app tracks location, Instagram tracks location, but you never will ask them that question. But yeah, Google was yeah. asked that question as well. Do they know, how does Google know what where I am? And and literally, you know, either the lawmakers get the, get the next side of the sand that they bury themselves in and really understand how tech business models work or how tech really works, or they stop asking these questions and stop regulating um things that they don't understand probably i mean i i completely agree i really think in general the government really has very little in terms of competency of anything like they can't do much well i i feel like they, it's better for them just to not make any changes that could be catastrophic rather than you know what i i, I can't i can't think of any real thing on the internet that you could argue that is a good thing the government has done maybe other than providing broadband internet access to rural people <laughs> and like and the hotly debated section 230 like i and you know i don't i don't know like i 
and both of those, well, at least the the latter of those, is like it could you could easily make an argument for either one, and the guardian might have been better off never making that rule. I don't know. I completely get it. But having said that, time to wrap up our podcast for today. And we spoke about really a lot of token models. We spoke about productive assets. We spoke about how the future productive assets looks. And we also spoke about a little bit about how regulation might just change a lot of definitions, might change the definition. Uh, regulation needs to look at the change definition of work, change definition of assets, change definition of income, everything. So uh, with that, I'm going to uh, I'm going to wrap up the show for today. And uh, thank you, Patrick, for making the time to talk to us. And thank you for being on Metaphor. Thank you. Great. <laughs>